Well, it is Mother's Day, and right about now, let's see, right about now, well, my mother is probably getting ready to go to church at uh, First Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. Now, that would represent, uh, you know, the routine that she likes to do every week and has done uh, for really her entire life. And yet, these days, my mother, well, the, the years have not been kind to her. She's 86 years old, and uh, the vast majority of time she spends reclining on her couch in what she calls her den, where she has her couch and her television and a chair for my dad. And there, you know, she watches uh, Twins games faithfully. She's a faithful Twins follower and, you know, Minnesota Twins. But uh, once a week, she, the highlight of her week is to have somebody take her to church because she can no longer drive. So my brother is in town now, and he, uh, he lives about two and a half hours away from her, and he'll be taking her to church this morning. Now, I, it's been a long time since I've been home for a Mother's Day. Uh, one of the things about being a pastor is that, well, you work holidays, you know, and it's difficult oftentimes to uh, be with family on uh, on holidays, especially since, you know, for pastors, uh, a lot of times, well, actually, I think the vast majority of times, if you're a pastor, you're not going to be in the area where family is. But, uh, uh, you know, I remember times when I was younger and at times growing up with my mother. Uh, you know, my mother really, as I said, uh, the, the years have not been kind to her. But uh, back when I was in first grade, she was in a terrible car accident where she was in a coma for something like six months, uh, almost died. Matter of fact, when, you know, we were just little kids, you know, first grade, and uh, in those days, kids couldn't go up to the rooms, the hotel room, or hotel rooms, you're right, the hospital rooms, um, and, and uh, although some of the hospitals around here are like resorts, I mean, let alone hotels, but, uh, you know, they couldn't go up to the, to the hospital rooms. So we were waiting down in the lobby after she had awakened from her six-month coma, and she came uh, down, I remember her coming down this escalator, and uh, I was from this family of five siblings, and we're all gathered together here in this lobby down here, waiting anxiously for our mother, who we hadn't seen in, you know, uh, over half a year, come down. And here she comes down, and her head is all shaved. And we said, wow, that's not our mom. You know, where's our mom? What'd you do with our mom? Well, she thankfully, you know, was blessed with uh, many years after that. She came home from the hospital and recovered. Uh, and the, the next year after that, we were living in this area. As a matter of fact, she got in this car accident because we were moving to a new house in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And, and that part of St. Paul is like a suburb where uh, there's a lot of new houses being built. I grew up to the sound of, you know, hammers hitting nails on houses and, and things like that. So they were, had all these new houses being built. The lot next to us had had some excavation being done so that they could build a house there too, and the, and the ground was all churned up from you know, the heavy machinery and everything, and the, and the rains came, and, and the rains were just pounding. And, and uh, after the rains stopped, I looked over there, and my little boy's eyes you know, were like saucers as I saw this field of mud. Oh, man, that was inviting. So I put on my boots, and I ran next door where I, you know, stepped off of our sod into the mud field. 
And as I stepped into it, it was a little boy's paradise because I could step into the mud and it was ooey and it was gooey. And you could step into this thing and, and my feet would sink into the mud and then step a little bit farther, and yet it was kind of starting to get a little bit kind of tough to walk. But man, this was, was fun as it was sinking up to you know, the top of my calves. And finally, you know, I, I reached about the middle of the lot, and there I stepped in, and I couldn't pull my feet out. They were stuck. I was stuck in the middle of the lot in this neighborhood that didn't have many houses in it. And I thought to myself, I am going to die here. They will, when the sun finally comes out in this Minnesota sky, they're going to find my bleached bones here. I will miss supper. Could no one possibly come to my aid? And then, just when I thought all was lost, I looked, and there someone was coming. Was it an angel? No, it was my mother. She had put on her bathrobe, seen me out in this middle of the mud field, unable to move any longer, put on her galoshes and, you know, put, threw on her bathrobe, and because I think it was fairly early in the morning yet, left the four hellions, also known as my siblings, behind in the house, and she came out into the mud field and the, and the bathrobe was never the same again. And she rescued me. Because mothers are in the life-saving business. They are. They're in the life-saving business. That's kind of what uh, is part of a mother's job description. And during this uh, day and age, the family seems to be under assault from many directions. It's a difficult time for the family, which means that we need mothers more now than ever before to be in the life-saving business. And what is it that we should read from the Bible on this Mother's Day? Is it a heartwarming passage about Jesus' own mother? Uh, or is it maybe some obscure and forgotten passage from the Old Testament that, that brings tears to one's eyes as, as you think about this person's mother? No, it is none of that. Instead, what we read for this day is a fishing story. Now, uh, I'd like a show of hands here from the women in the room. Um, and uh, if, if fishing is your favorite all-time favorite leisure activity, and your name is not Roxanne Davis, please raise your hand. Okay? All right. We don't have many hands raised here. My mother would be in good company then because that would not be her favorite leisure time activity either. And yet today we have a fishing story. My mother, I could not picture with, I don't think she has ever in her entire life had a fishing pole in her hand. And I, I could not picture her doing that. I could picture her far more easily walking into a mud field than with a fishing pole in her hand. As a matter of fact, I think that I gained my own fishing expertise from my mother. You know, um, when growing up in Minnesota, when I would go out on uh, a fishing boat, go out on a pontoon with people, a group of people who would be out there fishing, one thing I didn't take long to notice was that when I would be fishing on one side of the boat, and every time I read this passage that we've got for today where they, Jesus talks about fishing on the other side of the boat, I think of this, where if I would be fishing on one side of the boat, everybody who was fishing on that side of the boat will move to the other side of the boat. 
because they figure that if Dave's fishing on that side of the boat, there's no fish on that side of the boat. So let's move on this side of the boat because that's where the fish are going to be. I mean, I, uh, my fishing ineptitude is legendary. And in my first church where I went to pastor, it was, it was in fishing country. I mean, there were lakes everywhere. We lived on a lake. We had a boat. We went out there. And there was this one man in the congregation who was you know, this far from being a professional fisherman, and this guy wanted to help me out. So one day he asked me, Pastor Dave, what kind of fish are you fishing for? And I told him, stupid fish, but they don't stock enough of those. You know, and that's my mother. I mean, she, the fishing is not her expertise, but here we have people whose expertise is fishing. These are the disciples. And, and yet what is surprising here when we read this story is that all that has taken place now, here the disciples are back fishing again. It's like what happened when Jesus first called them to be his followers. He found them in this same exact place, this same exact kind of situation, and he said, come and follow me. And somehow, some way, they didn't get it. I mean, here we, we have these people who had already been called to follow Jesus. They had followed him for three years. They had listened to his teaching. They had seen his miracles. They had walked with him. They had talked with him. They had seen the crowds respond to him. They had seen the, res- the hostility from the Pharisees toward him. They had see- seen how he was arrested. They knew that he was crucified. They had experienced the three days of hopelessness as he lay in the grave. They had seen him alive. And if I were to write the end of this story, what I would write is that the disciples then went out on the street corners and they began to tell everybody about Jesus. But that's not what happened. Instead, what happened was they went back to fishing as though nothing had happened. Well, a few weeks ago, we celebrated Jesus' resurrection here. And when we did that on Easter, it was a tremendous celebration. And God was present. Our mission here is to connect people to the living God. And I would say, praise God, mission accomplished that day. We had all kinds of people here, all kinds of families, all kinds of mothers, all kinds of fathers, kids, everybody, grandparents, and uh, went home, spent time with family, and uh, celebrated, you know, Jesus being alive. And I think for a lot of us, went on to Monday and uh, proceeded with our routines as though nothing had happened. But something did happen. Jesus was raised from the dead. Something was powerful. Something was great. Something happened that showed us what was best in life. And parents, at least good parents, want what is best for their kids, right? We want what's best for our kids. And uh, we try to find ways for them to have what is best. I know when uh, my son got into uh, ninth grade, that's when I began to, to coach ninth grade baseball because I wanted to provide that for him. When my younger son um, wanted to play soccer and we lived in a town that didn't have a soccer program, uh, I created a soccer program in that town because I wanted something that was good for him there, even though I had no clue about how to play soccer, you know, but I found people who did. So created a soccer program. A lot of people, you know, these days, kids have got all kinds of opportunities for themselves. Um, you know, it seems like there's four, ten times as many things for kids to do these days than there were available, at least in organized sports, for example, 
than there were when I was a kid. All kinds of different things. So parents get their kids involved because they want good things for their kids. And as good as those things might be, and they are good, they, you know, great ways to invest in kids and, and uh, provide good things for them. They are good. Still, as good as they are, they are not the best. And for many of us, you know, we work very hard to provide for our families. We uh, take seriously the need to uh, pay the bills and, and if, you know, think, uh, you know, if we could just maybe earn a little bit more, we might be able to put a little bit more away and provide a little bit better for our families. And it's good to provide for your family. I mean, that's a very good thing to do. For some of us, that means that we're working extra hard, we're working extra long, and uh, you are to be commended for taking that responsibility seriously. It is a good thing. And yet, as good as that is, and it is good, it is still not the best. And this time of year, there will be families who will be gathering because Junior is graduating from some school. And in that school, they may sit at an academics award ceremony where Junior has achieved academically. And that's a good thing. It's the fruit of, of some hard work, some fruit of some real labors, and, and it is a very, very good thing. It's something that you should be very proud of in a good sense of the word pride. But as good as that is, it is still not the best. It's still not the best. There's a business book that's out. Some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may have read it. It's called Good to Great, and it's by an author by the name of Jim Collins. And in there, Jim Collins talks about how uh, these companies, uh, uh, he wants to describe how a company cannot be merely good, but be great. And he talks about how uh, with, with these companies that the enemy of greatness in Uh, a company, and this can apply to individuals as well, as well as to families, the enemy to greatness is, is actually that which is good. Because sometimes people stop at the good or put good in the place of the great. Or in our case, we're talking about the best. They put good in place of the best. It's not that the good is not good, it is good. But when the good is placed ahead of the best... Or when good is put in the place of the best, then that means that we are withholding the best. And the good becomes the enemy of the great. The good becomes the enemy of the best. Well, just then, the disciples, back in the boat, looked at the shore. And they had been experiencing this fishing trip that was fruitless, and yet, those of us who might enjoy fishing might still say that even when you don't catch them, it still is good. But they knew somehow that it was only good. It wasn't the best. But they looked to the shore, and there on the shore, someone looked and they saw on the shore this person. And they said, who is that on the shore? And someone said, it is the Lord. And Peter, who had arranged this fishing trip, when he heard that it was the Lord, knowing that they had not experienced the best, knew that the best was now standing on the shore. So he didn't wait for the boat to make it into shore. Instead, he dove into the water and swam to the shore, and there he met the best on the shore. 
And Jesus on the shore welcomed the disciples when they came back in with some bread and some fish. It was like he was reliving the feeding of the 5,000. Because sometimes we can forget by being, um, you know, lulled into thinking that the good is all there is, that, that it's still not the best. We can forget about the miracles of Jesus. We can forget about the power of God and wind up in this spiritual valley that is nothing more than something that might rise to the level of the good and miss out on the best. So they came into the shore, and there was a campfire burning on the shore. Kind of a neat picture, a neat scene, with fish roasting and bread. And Jesus sat there with Peter, the one who had denied Jesus three times. And he spoke with Peter, and he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Now, Peter is one of these kind of guys who figures that if you love somebody, you shouldn't have to say it. You know, they should just know. He says, of course, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. So the Lord said to him, then feed my sheep. And Jesus goes on to say this several more times to to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. But along the way, Jesus also adds this. He says, do you love me more than these? And when I read this, I've got to ask the question, more than what? In Peter's case, it would probably be something like this. Peter, do you love me more than that sin you've been hanging on to? Peter, do you love me more than the things that keep you back, that hold you back? Peter, do you love me more than this sin that you cannot forgive yourself for? Peter, do you love me more than that mistake you made in the courtyard of the high priest? Peter, do you love me more than the opinion of others? Peter, do you love me more than the opinion of a slave girl? Then feed my sheep. Well, I think families could do to listen to that. You know, mothers, fathers. Listen to that. As Jesus says to you, do you love me more than these? Then feed my lambs. And what are the more than these? Do you love me more than that sin that you've been hanging on to? Do you love me more than that lack of forgiveness that you have for that person? Do you love me more than that sense of injustice? Do you love me more than that Uh, respect for the opinion of your neighbors? Do you love me more than that desire to be a cool mom or dad? Do you love me more than these? Then feed my lambs. Here's the thing is that these children, you know, whether it's your own children or nieces or nephews or grandchildren or maybe the neighbor's kid that you have, you know, kind of a connection to, none of them belong to us. These are Jesus' lambs. They belong to him. They're given to us for a time. And he says to us, do you love me more than these things that hold you back? Do you love me that much? Then do this. Feed my lambs. Don't settle for just what is good in place of what is best. Instead, Feed my lambs. Give them what is best because you love Jesus and you love those lambs. And what is best 
is the one the disciples saw standing on the shore. It is Jesus. Feed his lambs. Amen.